welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion. You can comment on the live stream, and we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. And so this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right, welcome to another episode of Between the Before and After. I'm, I, I usually say I'm excited about my guests, and and genuinely, Alan, I am excited to have you okay. on. But I think we're going to talk about a difficult topic as well. And so, it's funny. I feel like you know how much how much sort of positive energy and spin do I want to put on us having this conversation? That's a really really important one to have around a really difficult topic. Um, and so, just as a quick background for folks, so Alan serves as the executive director for Saving Innocence, which is an anti-human trafficking organization. Um, it's based in Los Angeles and helps with the recovery and restoration of child victims of sex trafficking. And so that's a pretty serious uh, role that you're involved in. And in, in, uh, I think you're probably in contact with some very difficult stories and circumstances yourself. And so maybe just if you could share a little bit of backstory, how did you get to this place where this is what you're doing? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, John. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And, and uh, this is an important conversation. I agree with you. And um, so I'm always grateful when someone's willing to open up their platform and their show to have it. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. And it is a difficult conversation. Both of those things are true at the same time. I was introduced recently on a different podcast and the guy said, we're going to have a lot of fun in this conversation. I thought, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, not 100% sure it's going to be super fun, but uh, it's worthwhile for sure. So how did I get here? I, I worked for a, a different nonprofit agency organization called Young Life, uh, a global organization reaching out to kids and um, for 25 years. And at the end of those 25 years, uh, it was time to move on and uh, have a different challenge and a different thing to do, if you will. And so I cold called Saving Innocence. I'd heard about them. I sort yeah. of was aware that it was child victims of sex trafficking. And like pretty much everybody else, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, so they're in Thailand or Indonesia right. or Cambodia or someplace like that. And uh, no, I was I was shocked and horrified to understand that it's running rampant in our country, United States. And certainly Canada has its uh, share as well of children being bought and sold like a commodity for the purposes of sex, child yeah. victims of sex trafficking. And so I, I cold called them, like I said, and I met with the founder. It wasn't a job interview. They weren't hiring. Yeah. And uh, I was immediately taken by it. Like, you got to be kidding me. I'm a dad who has a daughter. Yeah. And yeah. most of the victims are little girls. So it's like, I'm in. And uh, yeah. after a little while, we decided they decided to offer me a job and, and I showed up. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm sure they're very glad that you did. And, um, you know, uh, on the one hand, this is a really, really difficult subject, but like we need men who are willing to step up and do this kind of work because as you know, and I, I think I see behind you for those who are watching, um, men fight for me. And I believe that's the title of a book that you've authored. Is that correct? 
That is correct. I, I blew that up real big. It's in the background, so you can see it. I don't know yep, if you've read yep. it yet, John, but I hope that you do. And um, I will read it. I haven't yet, but I, I certainly will. Yeah, you know, what I learned when I first came to Saving Innocence six years ago is that, uh, first of all, there's very few men in this work, on the good side of this work. I, I yes, go to a, yeah. a, a staff meeting, and it's all women, you know, my own agency. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go to some large uh, gathering, a training, and awareness event. There's almost no men there. And what I also learned is that most of the buyers of sex are men. Yep. Most of the sellers known as the traffickers are men, but there's hardly any men as part of the solution. So that, that bugged me for a long time. And I heard a survivor on a stage once in the middle telling her trauma saying, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed yeah. someone to fight for me. Yeah. And that got me fired up. And I, I sort of like, okay, I think the, the book was born in that moment because now I'm realizing my lane, my niche is men. I'm a man. Yeah. I've yes. been behind the curtain. I've seen things that other men haven't seen. I know things other men haven't known. And it's going to take a man to communicate that to other men. And so the book yeah. came out of that. that. That's amazing. And I can just hear the passion in your voice. And it's so it's so good to hear. You know, I've got a young son. He's only 13 months old at the time of recording this. But you know, I think about what kind, I already think about what kind of man am I molding and shaping him to be and sort of my influence on him. And I feel like it's, it's like, it's not enough to say I'm not a part of the problem. Right. You know, we, I really believe we have a responsibility to go beyond. I'm not a problem, part of the problem to, I need to be part of the solution. And when we're talking about a problem that's like this difficult, this loaded, this, I mean, any father out there, especially fathers who have daughters, I think the thought of this happening to their daughter would probably fill them with all kinds of rage and anger. When it, and But we almost want to turn a blind eye and pretend that it's not happening here in our first world countries. This is something that happens over there in these, you know, and you're saying this happens here and now in Canada, in the U.S., Yep. And it's maybe almost happening in plain sight. Uh, yeah. And the people that count things will tell you there's as many as 45 million people enslaved in via, uh, via human trafficking. Uh, there's more people enslaved today than at any time in human history throughout the world. And that's what human trafficking is. It's slavery. It's called the modern day slavery. It's one person yeah. asserting ownership over another person and forcing them to do what they don't want to do. And in our country and probably your country, about 80 percent of those victims are being forced through sex trafficking to be available for some twisted version of sex. Mm -hmm, and about 20 mm -hmm. percent is labor trafficking, being forced to right. work in slave like conditions labor wise. And yeah. it's, a, it's a massive problem that we have to wake up to. And, um, you know, the book is for everybody, men and women. A lot of women are reading it, are loving it. Uh, but there is a special emphasis to the male audience, because as we mentioned earlier, men are the problem. We're trying to yeah. grab a hold of men. And like you said, it's not it's not good enough just to not participate. I'm calling all men to step up, rise up, get off the sidelines, get into this fight because there's an actual fight to be had. Yeah. You know, I, th I think most men you know, kind of wired in such a way where they're we're, we're kind of all up for a, bite, a fight, we're all kind of up for a fight, Look, you know, some, something big. Yeah, we, we we have, I think it's just a part of being male. We want to be protectors. We want to be providers. And I think this is an incredible opportunity to do something like that. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind for me is like this problem. When you you, you said 45 million humans in, mm -hmm. it, it caught in slavery right now, mm -hmm. that just boggles my mind because that's a number of human beings. That's, that, that's more than the population of Canada. Mm -hmm. 
to to try to picture that number of human beings enslaved is almost beyond the capacity of my brain to sort of visualize and conceptualize. So then what might happen is I see the magnitude, the scope of this problem is so massive. How can I, as one yeah. person, right. even have uh, put, put a dent or a drop in the bucket? Uh, that's a that's a great question. I would say I'd, I'd preempt that by saying the biggest mistake we could make is to look at a problem, whatever the problem is. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this problem. And to feel like it's such a big problem, you can't make a difference. So therefore, you don't do anything at all. Yeah, That would be a huge mistake because each one of these numbers of these 45 million, each one of them is a human being. And many of them are children, the youngest little kiddo that we're taking care of at Saving Innocence. And by the way, savinginnocence.org, you can learn all about the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And there's videos to watch and you can learn about the problem. But the youngest little kiddo was just seven years old when we met her a couple years ago. And it, it, it's mind boggling. It's beyond comprehension, like you mentioned. And yeah, if we make just a little bit of a dent in the problem, well, that's hundreds of thousands or a million uh, people that are enslaved that'll find freedom because of our efforts. Yeah. But our, our goal is much bigger than that. Of course. Yeah. The, the goal is to end this atrocity. It's a human rights violation. We have to end it. And we humbly submit this book to the anyone, but primarily to the male audience at fightforme.net is a little website we created for sale on Amazon. Yeah. But go to fightforme.net. You'll learn a lot about the problem. You get the book there. And we're challenging men to get off. Get off the couch. Let's go, guys. We have to do this. Yeah, yeah. So you said that, you know, and here's here's where I get curious. Men are primarily the problem. How did we get to this place where this is exactly what we're talking about, where men are the biggest drug? Because this is this is an uncomfortable place to be as men. And you know, I think we need to be uncomfortable because it's that discomfort that might actually get us doing something. And you know, one thing maybe I'll also put forward is in saying that men are a part of the problem, one of the maybe one of the responses you might hear, one of the responses we might hear about this is a defensive emotional response saying, well, I'm not a part of the problem. I have nothing to do with this. I'm horrified by this and so on. And, you know, it's probably accurate to say the number, the percentage of men, you know, if we look at the male population on Earth, the percentage of men involved in this is a relatively small percentage of the population. So we're not saying that all men are bad. That's not what's being said here. But right. all of us, especially good men, have the opportunity to do something significantly impactful, even in the life of, if, if even one life is, you know, made better by the work, the advocacy that you're doing here, you know, it's it's worth it. And we not only have the opportunity, we have the responsibility. Uh, the, the second biggest problem, mistake, excuse me, mistake that we could make, you know, the first biggest mistake is, uh, it's too big of a problem, so I'm not going to do anything at all. The yeah. second biggest mistake that we could make would be, oh, you're not talking to me. I'm not going out on the street or going online and I'm not paying for sex and especially not a child. Are you kidding me? So to that man who's saying that, like, don't tune out, fellas, because here's the reality. Here's the damp blanket. We're going to throw a bucket of water on all men. This is on all of us. We have either all of us either participated actively and going down that dark rabbit hole and purchasing sex from a, an adult or a minor, or we've passively looked the other way and we've allowed it to happen. Neither one of them is good. I'm glad you're right. not going down the path, buying someone for sex, abusing them in that way. Great. But guess what? It's happening. And it's happening yeah. in your neighborhood. It's happening in your zip code. It's happening in your country, in your city, in your state. And so now what? 
Are we just yeah. going to hear about something horrific that's going on, a human rights violation, and do nothing? Well, then we're culpable. We're, we're allowing right. it to happen, and that's almost as bad. Yeah, and that, that's a really you know powerful statement to make. And so thinking about that, you know, what, what can we do? Because we want, we can move past now we've, we've touched on, yes, it's, it's an enormous problem. Yes. It's beyond, you know, one individual person to do this. And yes, it's a daunting task, but what are steps? Because, you know, maybe there's differing levels uh, of involvement you can get. And maybe this doesn't require you dedicated in making this your entirely your life's work either, but there is something you can do. So what are things that, that men can do? Yeah, that's the big question. Okay, but I get it. It's terrible. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and not a shameless plug, but step one is to buy this book on Amazon. Go to fightforme.net. Yeah. Um, there's a number of survivors in there sharing their story. Uh, my male voice is kind of leading the conversation. So ladies, buy it for all the men in your life, all the brothers and sons and uncles and neighbors that you have buy a case of, and I can say that because all the proceeds are going to benefit survivors of trafficking. So, you know, something good is happening with the money that it costs to buy the book, get that book. And in that book, there's a whole chapter. Um, Chapter eight is called looking in the mirror and it's full of solutions. Here's what we can do. Big picture. Here's, here's the macro, here's the micro, and here's the ultimate solution for trafficking. In the back of the book, there's an appendix. Here's like 12 things you could do today, right now. Quick. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would say this, spoiler alert, for those of you guys that are watching or listening, and ladies, for your husbands and your brothers and whoever else, it starts at home. It starts with you. We're going to look in the mirror, and we're going to make sure our life is not alignment with an exploitive culture that is harming people. We go into great detail in the book. So first, let's line up our life. We hit a reset button in our life. Now we're going to get a few buddies around, and we're going to get them in the conversation. And we're going to have them set a reset in their life. And we're going to point out exactly what I'm talking about in that book. And then as one street, one neighborhood, one town, one city, one country begins to change over and honor, serve, and protect women. That's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a mantra. We're going to teach men, teach our sons, the five, six. Your son's a little too young for this, but not really. He actually isn't too young. Begin to model for your son, whether it's a year old or five years old. Here's what it means to honor, serve, protect and respect women and young girls. And we get enough boys doing that. We're going to make a dent in this problem. And yeah. if, you're, if you're looking for something a little more practical and tangible, Google up an anti-trafficking agency near you. I'm yeah. not a hundred percent certain what's all out there in Canada. I'm sure there are. If you don't, if you can't find them, go to savingisness.org, but find us, yeah. find an anti-trafficking agency near you, call them up or email them. Say, how many staff do you have? They'll say they have two or 10 or 15 yeah. or 20 or five. Okay, go to the store, buy a Starbucks gift card or some other kind of a little gift card. Send one for every staff member that's working their 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 heart away serving these victims of trafficking and tell them thank you for what you're doing. Now, everybody that's listening right now can do that. That's a starting yeah. point. Just to that give was- people the courage and the strength to keep going to realize we're not, because I imagine, you know, this is in one sense could feel like soul crushing work to yes. to come face to face with the inhumanity that these innocent human beings are being subjected to that in itself, because it's far more comfortable for us to bury our head in the sand and to say, well, it's not happening in my backyard. It's not my problem and yep. so on and so forth. How do we, 
maybe we could even ask this question. How could someone kind of prepare themselves for what, if they open this box, if they open this door, they took a, take a look inside and they see the reality of the problem staring them in the face yeah. and they go, uh, I don't even know what to say. Cause you know, for example, I went to Auschwitz, I lived in Poland and I went to Auschwitz and to, to walk into the grounds of that, like I almost didn't know what to feel because I felt so overwhelmed by what took place there, trying to register in my human consciousness what took place there. And so we think this, the magnitude of this is, is even numerically speaking, even bigger, four or five, six times bigger than, than the horrors of what took place there. So for us to, how do we prepare ourselves to really face the reality of this situation and, and break free from maybe the comfortable illusion that we've been living under? Well, it's going to take some courage. It's going to take men and women to, to say this is happening. Okay, what do I do with it? And then take one step closer. You know, you don't have to go all in on day one. Yeah. Take take one step. Take a take another step. Send some gift cards to an anti-trafficking agency. That's step one. Become yeah. a little become a little monthly donor. That will encourage them. Just take a step. Some people I found really want to know all the gruesome details. Tell me everything. I, I need to know this. Other people, they really don't. They they know enough. Okay, I get it. I don't talk about it anymore. I, I'm going to help. So you yeah. can prepare yourself by shielding yourself from really all the heavy material. Um, and there is some heavy, dark material that you could find out. You don't have to search that. You don't have to Google that. You don't yeah. have to watch that documentary. Humans are being bought and sold. Many of them are children. And they're being abused in the most horrific ways. That might be enough. Oh, my gosh. What can I do? You don't have to find out all the all the heavy stuff, but really mm -hmm. it comes down to part of the reason why it's so big. Part of the reason is that people haven't had the courage to look mm -hmm. at it. If we're not willing to acknowledge something and look at something, it's going to grow in the shadows and turn into a real big problem. Yeah. And isn't, isn't that, you know, one of the reasons why this takes place? And I, I said in plain sight, and I don't know if that's entirely accurate, because I think when we envision this, we maybe envision like shipping containers, which probably happens, maybe dusty alleys and dirty, you know, at night and things like that. But I also imagine that this is also happening in plain sight, but people don't even know what to look for. Yeah. And so what, I mean, we, so we use the term sex trafficking. And we can understand what sex is, but really, how how is this taking place? And maybe more specifically, we could even ask, how is this taking place in first world countries? What are the kind of the mechanics of this? A, a really big uh, factor in the first world countries, like you said, is the technology that has uh, progressed so much, you know, in the last decade or, or more. You know, everybody's got a smartphone in their pocket right now. It's a little supercomputer. And um, it, a lot of it has moved online. And so there are adults and children being advertised and sold on a lot of the popular social media apps and other apps that maybe you wouldn't be aware of necessarily. And, and so it's not as much on the street corner anymore, mm -hmm, although mm -hmm. there are certain places you can go and see it. It's plain to see. But a lot of those moved online, making appointments online and uh, that kind of thing. So it is hard to see. In some ways, it's, it's, it's hidden in plain sight because it's gone online. So you don't right, right, right. You, you don't actually see it. Uh, so it's hidden in that way, but you can see it in certain parts of every major city. You'll, you can find it. And, and, and I've heard this, that you, they, they will use, they being placed on the dark web, the underworld. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that happens, but this is happening on the surface web. Because, you know, I, I went down the rabbit hole of what is the dark web and how does it work and all that kind of stuff. And it turns out a lot of this is happening on the surface web. And again, in plain sight, do they use like coded language or how do they, because you would think, 
I mean, I, how could you couldn't go on, say, Facebook and say, I have a, you know, a three year old for sale here. Uh, this is the price and so on. So how would they go about communicating this? Is there some kind of coded or veiled language? You'd be surprised what is on Facebook and Instagram and all the really popular sites. To some degree, it's coded. Um, to some degree, it's not. I remember someone showing me uh, somebody's uh, Instagram account of a young trafficker here in Los Angeles. And he was just, it wasn't a private account, just out in the open, showing pictures of barely dressed girls, all of his girls, and showing all this money and calling them, you know, derogatory names right there. I'm like, what's going on here? This, <laughs> let's go arrest this guy. What's happening? Um, there are certain websites, you may have heard uh, it was closed down and now they're trying to open it up again, but you may have heard of a couple of websites and I'm not going to mention them all here because I don't want to send anybody down a particular rabbit hole, but um, you've heard, probably heard of Craigslist. Is that a thing in your neck yep. of the woods? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Craigslist. Yep. So, so back in the day, I'm not sure Craigslist is doing it anymore. I think they decided, oh, let's not do this, but there are Craigslist and other websites like it doing the same kind of thing where instead of buying a lawnmower or whatever, you can go there and literally hit a drop down menu. And do you want an Asian girl? Do you want a, a black girl? Do you want a white girl? Age, age ranges. It's like ridiculous. It's right there on the regular website and people are, are ordering and making appointments that way. Um, so so you wonder then, so if it's like that obvious in one sense, you would wonder could, couldn't like, authorities or is there some way that they shield themselves from from like uncovering that this is an authority and and you know because there's probably some legal loopholes and things like that uh how, how do they get around that or is it just that law enforcement simply is lacking the resources it, it's kind of all of the above uh the law enforcement is lacking the resources it's it's it has historically been a difficult crime to apprehend and prosecute in order to in order to prosecute, you know, a bad guy, you have to have witnesses that will say mm -hmm. what they experienced and what they saw. Well, these young victims, particularly the children, um, they know if they if they testify against their trafficker, their life is now going to end soon, most likely. They're not allowed to testify against their trafficker. Right. And there's so much brainwashing and manipulation. When we intersect with a with a young one, she's been so manipulated and brainwashed. She thinks that he's her boyfriend and why would she do anything to hurt him? He loves me and I love him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's hard. It has been hard to get testimony against the traffickers and the traffickers are just far enough away from the crime where it's hard to exactly pin what they did. You know, if they robbed a bank, they're on yeah, videotape, yeah. you see the bank, there it is. You see a picture of him. It's pretty easy to, to apprehend, but this is different. It's in the shadows in that way. So, so <clears throat> how do they, I guess, f find these children in the first place? Well, in, in our neck of the woods, there are dedicated law enforcement units that are, they're uh, investigating these crimes. They're looking for the perpetrators. They're looking for the victims. And, um, you know, that's, that's a normal part of their law enforcement activities as dedicated child trafficking units, although mm -hmm. less and less all the time because of budget constraints and all kinds of other things. So I'm not, again, I'm not sure about your neck of the woods, how they find them, but it, again, it's going to take all of us as society to acknowledge it, that it's happening. One of the big misnomers is people historically have thought, Oh, these people out there, they're choosing this. They want to do this. So it's not really technically a crime that's happening. 
It's like, well, no. So there's a misunderstanding of the whole elements of the crime itself. They don't want to be out there. Nobody chooses this to be mm-hmm. literally out on the street and be raped. Mm-hmm. Non-consensual sex is called rape. They don't want to yes. be there. They're being raped a dozen times or more every single day. Nobody's right. Nobody wants that. Nobody's putting up their hand for that. No, nobody's signing up for that in fourth grade in the career day when the, the doctor comes in and the veterinarian comes in and the, the lawyer comes in and they talk about their professions. Nobody, no fourth grader is signing up. Oh, I want to be a rape and abuse victim and stand on the street corner uh, a dozen times a night. That's not happening. Yeah. So there's a yeah. misunderstanding of the crime. There's a lack of resources. There's a lack of resolve. Now there's, I've heard different numbers, maybe a hundred billion dollars a year transacting between human trafficking worldwide, maybe more. So you're talking about massive amounts of money. You're talking about local politicians. You're talking about local law enforcement, local leaders, not all, not even most, but some of all of those categories are involved in this in one way, shape or another. I was going to ask you that question because there's the, dare I say, the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. And of course, on public platforms, we do have to be thoughtful with how we talk about this, although I'm sure you you know how to speak about it, you know. But people in positions of power have historically been shown. We look at human nature. You get into a position of power and influence, it's hard to resist the temptation to abuse or misuse that position of power and influence. And once these institutions are corrupted, it becomes even more difficult. And is this what you run into? Well, oh yeah. I mean, all the way up the chain, there are participants in trafficking. There there are buyers of sex all through up the, the leadership chain of any government, any large corporation, they are participating in one way or another somehow. Not every company, not every government, but there are people sprinkled out throughout. You have local officers, lo- local cops that uh, are buyers. Um, yeah. You know, you have pastors of churches that mm-hmm. are buyers. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while you hear a story that some cop or some pastor or some uh, upstanding member of community is actually a trafficker and selling. Mm-hmm. So and, and and the allure of money also yeah. draws them in. It's money, very, mu- very power. much, a, yeah. It's very much an economically driven crime. It's supply and demand. It's a there's a product, there's a sale, there's a supply chain. It's just take everything you know about business and apply it to this. This is a business. The traffickers mm-hmm. own their product. They put them for sale. There's a profit, and there's a lot of people making a lot of money uh, all over the place via this crime. And so. In the first world, how do traffickers find their victims? How do they acquire these children in the first place? About 80% of the kids that we serve uh, at Saving Innocence, and I know this is true, a true statistic um, throughout the country, uh, are already in the foster care system. I'm not sure what the equivalent is if you have a foster care mm-hmm, system mm-hmm. Or, or what you call it there. Yep, in, very in similar. Your, okay. And so for that child to be in that situation, they've already been abused, oftentimes sexually. Um, physically abused, neglected in some way or another. And the child welfare system, the government's come in and taken them out of that. And they put them in a quote, air quote, safe space in a foster group home of some kind or some foster parents. Mm. Well, the problem with that child, that young girl say, is that she's never seen a healthy version of a male. She's Mm -hmm. never seen a male who has wanted the best for her, who's treated her with respect and protected her. She hasn't seen it. So the problem with that is 
she doesn't know the difference when someone with bad intentions walks in. Right. Now these traffickers, they can see that vulnerability. They can almost smell the vulnerability at a bus stop or at the mall or at school or walking home. And now they're going to swoop in. They're going to prey on those vulnerabilities and they're going to start mm-hmm. t- talking to them, strike up a relationship and let them you know give, how much. Give them gifts and, and, and gifts. manipulate. Manipulate and, and, and definitely coerce and manipulate and pretend that there's somebody that wants to be their boyfriend. going to take care of them and see, that child, that particular child, has never had anyone say or do those things ever. So, and they can't tell the difference when the when the bad example shows up. And so that's that's the pipeline for a lot of these kids that get uh, pulled into it. Is a manipulation. Uh, we call them predators. I just spoke at a an event this past Saturday. I showed a little minute clip of a, 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 a jungle scene in Africa, and it talked about the predators, and it shows the lion swooping down in the tall grass, moving slowly, strategically. And mm-hmm. there's he, all these huge herds of all these large animals running by. He doesn't jump on the strong, healthy, confident ones. He waits. And he waits for a little one, a weak one, to fall back. It gets isolated. And then it shows a lion pouncing out of the grass and pouncing on this little animal. And that, that animal's gone. Well, that's exactly what's happening yeah. in human yeah. form. There, there's a strategy to it. They know what they're doing. They're waiting in the darkness and the shadows. And when a slow, weak, vulnerable one comes by in their view, that's where they're going to pounce. And so the take home for dads and moms out there, raise your little girls and your boys, but most of the victims are little girls, raise them to be strong and confident and aware. And that's Mm going to reduce their availability, you know, by tenfold. Right. Yeah. And so when we look at the problem, there's, there's kind of like maybe a three layer and there's maybe more layers, but we'll, we'll simplify it and say like a three layer kind of strategy. There's the triage, uh, the triage element to it. What's like, this is what you can do right now. This is, but if all we're doing is putting out fires, then the problem is never really getting taken. Then you kind of have like the mid-level solution, the, you know, uh, months and weeks and months sort of down the line, this is how we're going to, you know, and then you have, the sort of like the root of the problem, like where does this originate even within the human psyche and trying to get to that? How do, you know, how do traffickers get to the place where they are so desensitized to the human condition that they do not see this as problematic enough not to do? Uh, That's a, that's a really great question. And I would say this, the same conditions which produce the young victim also produces the young trafficker. So many of our young victims have talked about needing to survive, being in survival mode, being neglected and abused as a child, living in a place that lacked opportunities. Those same conditions produce the young trafficker and in some cases the young buyer, but more the young trafficker. I actually sit down in the book and I sit down. It's called Coffee with a Pimp is the subheading. And Mm -hmm. and we have a whole chapter on traffickers kind of breaking down the psyche. What's going on? And I met with a trafficker, a former trafficker. So tell me your story. And he said all the exact same things we'd heard from our young victims, how we grew yeah. up being homeless and dad was not present and mom, you know, was addicted to something and he had to somehow steal and, and make money in order to feed the family and survive. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and now this young trafficker sees, oh, wow, you mean if I just control one of these younger vulnerable ones, I can make how much? I can make $500, $1,000 a day? Well, yeah. that, becomes a, that becomes a pretty quick... Uh, and, and a, an attractive solution to his problem per his vision, his eyes, what he can see. That's what happens yeah. to a lot of them. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's just, uh, you know, it, it's, 
it's hard again to comprehend and it's been it's been a heavy topic and i appreciate your you know the, the just the passion you have for sharing this you know and wanting to come out and, and speak and be a part of the solution and you know i i went to savinginnocence.org i think i went through the, the first level of courses so there's a free course i think available there where you can go through and you can learn what to look for there's like an educational series and they're not long videos they're maybe one two three four minutes kind of thing but they give you an idea of, of what to look for and it just i think even becoming aware and becoming educated that this exists here's the conditions in which it thrives and so on here's some things to potentially look out for you know and you know I, I don't think anyone's asking you know men out there to put themselves in a dangerous situation where they try to directly intervene you know and, and be a hero in in that regard i don't think that's necessarily what's being asked but you know um just just to wrap up again what are what are some steps that we could take especially as men um to really become a part an active part of the solution go to fightforme.net and buy this book for you and all the men and start a little book club uh, meet once a week over tea or coffee or whatever is a beer whatever you want to do with your guys and process each chapter and somewhere in the darkness you're going to be challenged with difficult stories that you're going to read about you're going to be challenged to be part of the solution if you have a little extra time get on google google down the rabbit hole anti-trafficking, human trafficking, and start following the different clicks and the links and get a little more educated. You don't have to go to school and get a college degree to be part of the solution, but get a little more educated. And to what you said earlier, we actually would not, we highly not recommend don't mm. intervene because that would be really bad for the girl. If you intervene, then her traveler is going to think that she called you over to help and now she's going to get beat up or worse. So don't do that, Mm -hmm. but get a little more educated Get involved, yeah. find a local um, traffic, anti-trafficking agency, whatever, find out whatever they need and do a little something for them. And ultimately, like I think I said earlier, uh, look in the mirror, make sure your own life is in line with a, a non-exploitive exploitive, uh, culture. Uh, if you're looking at things, guys, late at night when your wife's gone to bed on the computer, I guarantee you that's not helping. That's hurting the problem. Yeah. Uh, so shut some things off, start some other things and take one more step and being yeah. part of that solution. You know, and it's interesting because uh, my co-host uh, on another one of my podcasts, her name is Chris. Shout out to you, Chris, if you happen to be listening to this. You know, we talk about this expansive model for change and we talk and I think it applies in this situation here. We're talking about when creating change, it starts at the individual level. Then, you know, the next layer is maybe the family level. The next layer is like the community level and then maybe the town level or the city level and so on. But just if we could understand, again, even though the, the magnitude of the problem is monumental, it's daunting, it's it's intimidating, the change, the, the solution does not have to be equal in magnitude from an individual. And so what feels like a small step, what feels like a minor step is could be the reason why one less person is caught in slavery. Uh, that's 100% true. Um uh, even a small step that us guys and women too, but us guys could make would be a massive step um, for this work. I, I, I can just promise you, if you show any kind of appreciation or acknowledgement of some people that are in your community doing the hard work, you're not going to even understand how deep that's going to go to know there's outside people that are seeing them and their work. They're acknowledging them. They're cheering them on. Um, if you did nothing more than that, and then said, listen, I want to buy Christmas presents or birthday presents for the handful of kids you're working with. Like, If you did little things like that, moms and dads, 
that would be massive. Jump yeah. in and do it. That's amazing. Well, Alan, thank you so much for your time. I know I'm going to bring you back on one of my other podcasts okay. called It's Not So Black and White because we're going to have this conversation again, but I'm going to bring a couple of other people into the room because I think this conversation um, needs to continue to be had. And so I appreciate you coming on, sharing your passion. If you could just close out maybe with some final thoughts, some words of wisdom, just to encourage people, because we've been talking about a heavy topic. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about a difficult one that is really soul searching when we actually look at what's taking place. You know, maybe some words of encouragement just to kind of close out here. Well, uh, thank you. And and I would say this, that it's it's worth whatever we can do. It's worth it because at the end of the day, they're just kids. They're, they're just kids like our kids and your kids and my kids. And through no fault of their own, they got sucked down a dark path and they so want to have a shot at life. They so want to have their own dreams realized and being taken out. Uh, we celebrate these kids all the time, however we can. We celebrate birthday parties and baby showers when they, they graduate high school. They do anything. We're celebrating these kids and they're so proud of themselves when they take big steps. Big steps for them mm -hmm. might not be big steps to you, but they are big steps. And there's hope and joy and life on the other side of this problem. And I'll just say one final plug for the book. At the very end of the book, I say we're saved the best for last. And there's six survivors that tell their story throughout the book, different parts of it, little quotes here and quotes there. And I, and I reached out to them. I said, listen, you've all told your stories many times before. I'm not, I don't want you to do that right now, but tell us about your life after the life. What are you proud yeah. of? What have you accomplished? What's going on? And there's just a beautiful chapter of about six of these women that are out there changing the world. And they, they've got their children and their marriages and, and they got their own websites. They've written their own books and you're going to learn about all that. And so uh, guys, ladies and men out there that are thinking, wow, this is heavy. It is heavy. But you know what? They're just kids and they need people to fight for them. And you can make a difference. And that'll change everything in the life of a young survivor. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Fightforme.net. I know I'm going to be going and purchasing a copy of that book, especially now um, knowing what it's going towards. So fightforme.net and savinginnocence.org to learn more about this organization. So thank you so much. And thank you for everybody who tuned in and listened to this and was willing to hear a difficult conversation. Love to have you as a part of the fight moving forward. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.